right. Uh, these are the cards that uh, Bianca was talking about in the announcements. So we'd, uh, these are available at the welcome counter. Grab some of these. Invite your friends and family to our Easter services. Uh, well, uh, I have been traveling in the little Petri dish of a tube called an airplane uh, the past four weeks, uh, weekends. And uh, it finally caught up to me. Uh, luckily, uh, I had already planned to have somebody else speak today. So you don't have to listen to this voice today. Uh, we are in a series called Let Your Life Speak, and it's really, we set out to uh, equip you for the 95% of your life, uh, that, that we recognize that 5% of your life is spent here in the church, serving in the church, participating in worship, but, uh, but really there's this whole other part of your life that we want to make sure that you are equipped uh, to live a Christ-centered life in, and so we set out with this uh, series, Let Your Life Speak, to answer uh, a bunch of questions about what does it look like to live in this world and be a reflection of Christ to, to the people around us in all of our, uh, in all of our circles. And so uh, one of those circles is our work. And about a month ago, I was introduced uh, through a common friend uh, to a guy by the name of Mike Sharo who heads up uh, a, a global organization called C12 that is about uh, organizing and discipling business owners and, and people who are in the workplace to take the gospel uh, and be missionaries in the place in which God's called us to, to work and live and uh, be a part of that. And so uh, will you give a warm welcome to Mike Charles? Good morning. So, funny small world, I've been hearing your pastor's name for a while from a couple different sources. So, he's involved in some neat things that are transforming churches all around the country. Uh, things like Unique, which you guys are hosting, something about that in a few weeks, and some other things around church strategy. And some of my friends in that space said, hey, there's this guy in San Antonio who need to meet Ryan Coffee." And then I'm on the board for this thing called the Alliance for Orphans, where we help churches with foster communities in San Antonio get real serious about that stuff. And similarly, like, hey, have you heard of this church, Lifehouse, Pastor Ryan Coffey, they're getting real involved in this stuff. And I said, well, I heard him again. And then my brother-in-law said, hey, I went on a mission trip with this guy named Ryan Coffey from San Antonio down to the Amazon. You should meet this guy named Ryan Coffey. So, and then I like, and I like coffee anyway, so we should have met sooner. So here we are. Um, I'm humbled to get to be part of this great community. Just to get an idea of how spiritual y'all are, because uh, I don't know you well, I'd like to ask a question, a quick poll. I'm going to ask you to put your hands up in a second. How many of you at some point in your life have acknowledged a call that God's called you to do full-time ministry? Whether that was, okay, hands are popping up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, a bunch. Okay, this is a pretty spiritual group. This is good. Now, everyone who did not put your hands up, I want to ask you something. Who's, who did not raise your hand? There should be a lot more hands. Okay. Why didn't you raise your hand? Good question. That hand differential right there, what we just saw between those who are called and not called is one of my biggest holy discontents. And here's why. When Jesus was descending, you know, ascending from his earthly ministry and he's commissioning you know, hundreds of people and he said the famous words we've all heard, go therefore in all the world and make disciples. I've, got, I've read that passage thousands of times and I have not found a translation of that verse where he says in parentheses, you go make disciples of all people and all y'all just go get jobs. You all be full-time disciples fulfilling this great commission I'm giving you and you all just be funders of them and try not to mess things up. 
I've never, I've never found that. I've, I've read it in the original Greek, and I've read it in all sorts of languages. I've never seen it say, some are called and the rest are just called to fund those who are. And we have this dangerous kind of lie, we believe, that if you're not called to do mission work full-time in Africa or Colombia, or you're not called to lead worship, or you're not called to be a, a preacher, teacher, and lead this church like Pastor Ryan, that then you kind of miss the call. And you just gotta go to your job, don't, don't mess things up too badly, give generously, and you know that's our life. That's not the gospel, and that's not who we are. And so this morning, I wanna share about that. And just to give you context where I'm coming from, we're gonna throw a little thing up that's got a map on it. Uh, a couple things you need to know about this. So I put this up here because I'm from Alaska, and uh, that's the geographic proportionateness of Alaska to Texas. And not that size matters, but, but it's... <laughs> It's important for people from Texas to just know that Alaska may be 2.12 times the size of Texas, approximately. <laughs> and just, it's good to practice humility. Um, the second is, I, I've been on a journey. So I had some, go back, went on, went on the journey through a couple different brands. I lived in Chicago for a while, and I worked for this big company called Walgreens. It was part of a few different companies. But it was really in Chicago, uh, really back in 2004, I sit at my desk one night and I hit this crisis of faith and vocation. See, I was actually being successful in business. I was having a good job, good career run. I was getting kudos and attaboys. In fact, I just completed this major project where I got a lot of complimentary emails from the powers that be in the company and I was feeling really good. And then I let my employees go home that night and I'm wrapping things up. I'm at my desk and reality sets in. And I suddenly went, who cares? Like I spent a whole bunch of weeks making a bunch of widgets and all the things I got kudos that feel really good right now, no one will even remember this three years from now. Six years from now, it won't matter. And 10 years from now, who knows? And I began to just kind of feel pity for myself that I was working so hard to accomplish stuff that I didn't feel mattered. And in the scheme of things, we just all blow away one day. And then I was like, man, I feel like I'm created for more than this, God. And in fact, I took out a, a pad of paper and I began to write all the things I knew I was called to be. I'm called to make disciples of all nations. I'm called to be a disciple who makes disciples. That I'm an ambassador for Christ, that I'm, I'm a son, that I'm a minister of the gospel. All these things I knew I'm called to be in Christ. And yet here I am working 40, 50 hours a, work, a week at work. Now, I was very involved in my local church. We did, my wife and I were involved in marriage ministry and youth ministry, and she did work with refugees, and we were involved in all kinds of stuff. And I was discipling boys and guys. And, um, but you can only do so much church stuff, right? Like we got... You got your jobs, you got your family, and you've only got so much margin to do stuff on campus or in official programs. And so I felt like my job was getting in the way. And in that wrestling with God, God convicted me that, Mike, there's a tension here that's not true because I was letting the logo on my shirt determine my identity versus letting my identity transform how I worked with that logo. And so there's a couple of circles I want us to talk about today. The first is these three circles that represent this tension that I basically spend my life now addressing. See, in 2006, I moved to Texas. In 2010, a buddy invited me to C12. I'd never heard of it. I said, what is it? He said, it's a Christian business group. I said, no, thanks. He said, why not? You love Jesus. You love business. This is your kind of group. And I said, no, because I think Christian business things are weird. And he said, excuse me? I said, no, no, I mean, I love the idea, and I try to figure out my faith and work. It's part of my story, but, I mean, they can be wacky. Um, some people let a giant fish symbol be an excuse for not running a good business. Sometimes there's just some goofy things, and I just, I don't know, it feels like a waste of my time. Well, he drew out a, a napkin, and he drew these three circles. And he said, Mike, isn't there a tension we all feel around what does it mean to do work as worship? 
to, to honor God in the way we do work. Wouldn't that mean they should, we should be doing great jobs, running great businesses, that they should be glorifying God and that they should be uniquely biblically informed and Christ-centered? I said, yeah, that's really hard, but yeah. And he said, but isn't it also true? It's not just about doing good, but it's also about business as ministry, that what if your greatest asset for the kingdom is not your pocketbook in business, but your influence on people, your influence on industries and communities? What if business as ministry is part of our job? And then the third part is what if you do those two things really well, you're trying to save the world and do all this good stuff, but man, your life is not in order. How do you, keep, how do you make sure that I'm a son of God, a husband to Jackie, a father to two beautiful little girls, that the fruit of the Spirit is vibrant in my life as I do these things. Well, that's really hard to do all three of those. And that tension is where I live now, is getting to help thousands of people around the world wrestle with that and then the people they get to employ. That's at a business level, but this is really an identity thing. So another set of circles. We all have to wrestle with what does it mean to live out the tension of who I am in Christ, right? So the Bible would say that I'm a new creation, I'm an ambassador for Christ. The old, is, the old is gone, the new has come. So we all have an identity if you exchange your life for his life. My story is unique and yours is unique, right? I, we've all got our own John 9 blind man equivalents of saying I was once blind, now I see. Or Ephesians 4 says we were far from God, now we're near to God. I've got my own story of that journey. But then we've got our purpose, like where God has us today. And that is also unique. Ephesians 2.10 says we were created for good works God prepared in advance for us to do. Esther, in Esther chapter 4, her uncle comes to her and says, Esther, what if you were created for just a time such as this? What if this is your moment right here, right now? What if God lets you have this job in this corrupt industry, this corrupt government, to represent him at just this time? And living that out is powerful, but when we separate them, we miss God's design for our lives. We miss our destiny. So I want to talk through five key principles around living our life, letting our life speak at work. The first one is, I'm gonna use some four-letter words, and you've got it on your card there. Work is hard, but work is good. Now, for some of you, work is a four-letter word, and you use it as such, and it is hard, another four-letter word, but it's also good. Our theology really matters here. So I want us to look back to Genesis chapter three. In Genesis chapter three, you find out that work gets messed up. And I'm gonna jump down to um, verse... So he talks about verse 16 through 19, basically the consequences of sin entering the world. He talks about women, childbirth being more painful. And he says to Adam, because you've done these things, cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So essentially the Bible says that there was work and then it got hard. So it's important to notice that work was before the fall. Work just got messed up by the fall. God didn't punish us by saying, because you sinned, now you gotta go to work. He said, because there's sin, work will now be difficult. It's gonna be frustrated. It's gonna be challenging. But it was good. In fact, it's a very Jewish understanding that work is actually an avenue of worship. In fact, there's a whole Hebrew word called avodah, this idea of work as worship, that whatever you're made to do, whatever your craft is, you doing it to its best and fullest is actually your expression of worship to God. If you're a carpenter, being the best carpenter and doing the work God called you to do is part of your act of service. If you're an artisan, if you're a military leader, whatever it is, doing that is actually part of worship. And if we have a bad view of work, we'll end up wasting some of the best years of our life. The average American will spend 88,000 hours at work. That is a long time 
to just try not to mess up and to have that pass by. I hope we don't stand before the Bema seat of Christ one day and Jesus say, what'd you do with 88,000 hours? And be like, well, I don't think I did too bad there. I don't, th- I don't think I did anything royally bad. Did a pretty decent job. And I, I gave a lot of money away. And be like, that's it? That's all you got to show for 88,000 hours? See, we're created for work and God has designed for work. When I was in college, uh, a guy came on campus and he was looking for someone. He hired me to help him start a company. He said, hey, I'm starting a financial services company. Would you help me do that? And we talked to each other, got to know each other, and I said, sure, I have one question for you, Al. Can I ask, how old are you? You see, Al was 79 years old, and he was starting a business. And I said, why are you starting a business at 79? And he didn't have to work. He could afford to not work. And he said, well, Mike, I, I had the successful career, had all these things, I retired, and my friends retired, and all my friends started dying. And I realized retirement will kill you. And so it's... it's <laughs> It's dangerous to just sit around not doing something, so I gotta get back to work. He's like, I don't wanna work the way I was, and I wanna do work I enjoy with people I enjoy, so that's why I'm creating a business to kind of pick my own track, but um, we're made to work, and I realized not working is actually toxic because we're created to work. It's part of what God made us to do. And I think the frustration of work actually speaks to the design of God's work in us. How many of you guys have ever been frustrated with work where you feel like this shouldn't be this hard, it shouldn't feel this way, it shouldn't go like this, Shouldn't it go different? I think frustration is actually a wonderful trace. Like if you pull that thread, you and I get frustrated because we yearn for the way things are supposed to be. Creation groans because it's messed up and we yearn for the kind of work God created us to do. That's, the answer is not to run away from it. It's actually to bring the gospel into it. And so work is actually one of the greatest places. Because if you look in the Genesis story, Genesis 1 and 2, before the bad stuff happens, there's really three things we all have. God made Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, and he said, okay, you're gonna commune with me. They had perfect fellowship with God, walked with him, talked with him daily. They had perfect fellowship with one another, right? He says they were naked and unashamed. They just had this wonderful relationship, and they had work. He said he put them in the garden, he told them to subdue it and have dominion. He put them to work, and it was fruitful and without toil, Then sin entered the world, and we got separated from God. Our relationships got frustrated, and our work got ruined. The gospel restored our relationship with God, and he's inviting us to transform the way we relate to each other as an expression of that gospel. And the area we most often neglect is how does the gospel change the way we go back and redeem work? Work is hard, yes. It's toilsome, yes, but it is originally good. But if you and I don't know that, if we don't think about it that way, bad theology of work results in us resenting work. Oh, I have to go to work again. When do I have to get, when can I retire? We live for retirement as if being post-working years and having nothing to do is gonna be super satisfying. We, we resent it, we avoid it. Some of us just are lazy and don't wanna work. Some of us do it poorly with a kind of who cares? It's just a job. It's not what I wanna do. I don't get joy from it. I don't like who I work with, so I don't care. We compromise on it. If you don't view your work as mattering to God, you're more likely to cut corners, to cheat, to show up late, to do things you shouldn't do. When we don't understand that this is a holy ground issue, we sin at work by failing to do what we're called to do, by disconnecting our identity from it. We waste our time and we live in suspended animation waiting for our true identity to be lived out. Meanwhile, work is good because God uses it for provision. It creates our capacity to give. It reflects the character of God and it's how we get to serve others It should be good and excellent. Look at Colossians 3 with me. This is a very bold statement that you've probably seen before, but I want to think about its significance in work. In Colossians 3, it says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, 
do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Pause. Bond servants don't like their job. This is not dream jobs only. This isn't when you find your dream job, do it well. These are people who are so poor that they had to sell themselves into slavery to pay back debts beyond bankruptcy. And they get entrusted to work with people and have to do literally whatever they're told to do and oftentimes mistreated. Not always, but oftentimes horribly treated. And God's telling that person who hates their job, who's doing it reluctantly, has to, that in that, to do that as unto Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, that whatever you do, work heartily as though you're working for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you receive an inheritance as your reward, you are actually serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That should change the way we work. Work is good, or work is hard, but work is good. Second, I have a greater purpose here today. My identity should change how I view my work. 2 Corinthians 5 says that I'm an ambassador of Christ as though Christ were making an appeal through me. That's who we are in Christ, not on Sundays at 10 a.m., not on Wednesday nights, not on mission trips in Columbia. That's just who I am. It doesn't get turned on or off. I'm supposed to represent the administration of Jesus, the kingdom of God, everywhere I go. I'm an agent for his policies. And so whether I'm an um, entry-level employee, a manager, or I own a business, I should be going, how am I demonstrating the Jesus way and how we deal with customers and coworkers and banks and issues I was just in Washington, D.C. this week doing lobbying with congressional leaders and Senate leaders around issues affecting Christian business. And I was going to their offices and I was saying, I'm a Christian. I represent thousands of others in business. And these are things that matter to us because this is what we're called to be. I was being an ambassador for a belief system, for a community. We're all called to be that in HEBs and USAAs and everywhere else. The, the workplace, biblically, is actually the primary place where God says ministry happens. Do you realize your workplace is not in the way? Throughout the whole Bible, Jesus did most of his work outside of synagogues, not on the Sabbath. When he did stuff on Sabbath, he got a lot of grief for it. Be like, hey, 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 you shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath, right? So he did that. He did it 24-7. But most of the stories we read about happened, in that case, Sunday through Friday, because the Jewish Sabbath's on Saturday, during business hours. The Old Testament was mostly small businessmen and women called into service. Abraham, small business owner. Isaac, small business owner. Jacob, Daniel, government employee. Esther, queen in a, in a pagan government. Joseph, government employee. These are the people God uses to be agents of his kingdom advancing. It is, your work is not an obstacle to our purpose. It's actually a stage for it. Who you are, and this is what I had to wrestle with, who you are does not get changed by where you are. Where you are should get changed by who you are in Christ. My game changed the day I stopped saying, God, when will you get me out of here to go do good stuff? To God, why do you have me here? What are you doing here? And how do I honor you today in this workplace? God, work is hard, work is good. I have a greater purpose here. The third thing is God is with me and he cares. We, we sang some great worship this morning that iterated these things. But do we really believe that God is with us? I mean, that's radical truth if you actually believe it. We have operations in Malaysia, Brazil, and China in addition to 37 states in the U.S., and we're launching in Taiwan this fall. And our leader there, and I were emailing back and forth, and his first email to me, he signed off, you know, I'll, I'll call you next week, Emmanuel Shine Chen. 
And I went, Emmanuel? That's an odd sign-off. I've seen, you know, in Christ and respectfully and love and grace and peace and in his grip and all the things. I've never seen Emmanuel, comma, name. And I said, why do you use Emmanuel? And he said, well, isn't that the greatest proclamation we can remind each other of, that God is with us? And so he says, I sign every message. God is with us, my name. May that remind us how we're doing this. I tend to forget that the creator of the universe is with us. Think about this. If tomorrow Bill Gates came with you to work, Warren Buffett came with you to work. Jeff Bezos came with you to work. Elon Musk said, hey, I'm gonna come hang out with you for a day. I just wanna shadow you at work. First of all, I don't know how you'd be able to focus on work. You'd be like, oh my gosh, I got Bill Gates sitting right here. Elon Musk is sitting right here with me. But I also don't think you'd ignore that person all day. I suspect that if I had Warren Buffett with me at work all day, I'd probably be like, hey, uh, what do you think you'd do on this? Hey, uh, we're going to this meeting. We've got this big problem. I'm just gonna ask, Warren, do you have any advice? I mean, it'd be kind of dumb to have Warren Buffett and not take his advice. Or Jeff Bezos not say, hey, do you have any creative ideas on this? I was in a CEO roundtable meeting in Austin and a CEO of a tech company needed to raise millions of dollars. And he was saying, I've got a short window. I've got to find the right investor. If anybody knows anybody, please tell me. And uh, I said, hey, I, I think I might know somebody. He said, really? I said, actually, I happen to know the wealthiest guy in Texas. He's not only wealthy, he's also a bit of a futurist. Like he knows where technology is going. He really knows the industry well. He, he reads where the economy is going. Um, he's a master of these things. And he's, he loves to help Christians like you. He said, perfect. I said, if I was to arrange a meeting, would you meet with him? He's like, I'll drop anything, anytime, any place. You get me a meeting with him. I said, what if it was like 5 a.m. tomorrow morning? He said, done. I said, okay. So his name is God. And he's, he's kind of loaded. He's got lots of resources and he kind of knows the future and he's passionate about people and he loves to show his people where to go next. Would you be willing to get up in the morning and actually meet with him one-on-one? And what if you were to lay out your business issues to him and ask him, God, how would you have me do this? Would you make time for that? And he's like, uh. I'm like, no, I'm serious. God is with us and he cares. That should change the way we do business. Look at what David said in Psalm 139. He said, where shall I go from your spirit? I mean, where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If if I'm on the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if I feel totally alone in a storm, you're there. Your hand still leads me. Your right hand holds me. Even if I feel, even if I say, surely the darkness covers me and even the light has become night, where there is hopelessness, when I feel like there's no Hope, and I've spent months living wherever David's describing. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Or think about how God coached up Joshua when Joshua was leading the Israelites into the promised land in Joshua 1.9, which we know this passage, but think about it in a workplace setting. This is not a Sunday morning sermon. This is a locker room charge on Monday morning as Joshua's about to go out and do work. And he says, Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong, be courageous. Why? Not because Joshua's awesome. Not because it should be an easy day. He says, do not be frightened. And I've been frightened plenty in business. Do not be dismayed. I've been hopeless and dismayed in business. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. God doesn't say you should be bold and confident because of who you are. He says you should be bold and confident because who he is and he's with you in work. Even a bad day at work has got hope if you believe God is with us. The problem is many of us are not thinking about abiding with Christ in the middle of business. There's a big difference between asking God to bless the work you go do 
and pursuing the blessed way of God in your work, between saying, I want the principles of God or I want the presence of God. And some of us believe this lie that there's this inverse relationship between the busy you are, the less connected to God you are. And so when work slows down, you'll be more you know, spiritual. That's just not true. And your work is not a hindrance to intimacy. It's actually the place he wants to meet you. And I, I've watched this be true because I've, I've led a lot of mission trips. I lead mission trips every year to Honduras and Haiti and different places. And I'll grab teams of diverse people and suddenly we can be spiritual. Right? We, can, we pray every morning, we do devotionals, we go about our work that day, hard work, long days with language issues and culture issues and transportation issues, and we, we're looking for God in that. And we have this eyes of like, we get together at the end of the day, we do devotions, we debrief the day, we talk about where we saw God at work, we pray about things, we go to the next day with eyes expecting to see God show up. And he does. And then we get on a plane, we come back home, and the trip ends, and we turn off being a missionary and we go back to just being Mike at work until the next trip to Colombia or the next trip to Honduras. What if the trips didn't end? What if we kept being who we were in Colombia in San Antonio? Because there are thousands of people here who would love to see that same Colombia trip person show up at work here. But somehow we don't. I had a guy come to me who worked at Rackspace and he he was getting some counsel and he wanted to get some advice on going to seminary. He said, I'm thinking about going to seminary, leaving work, going to seminary full-time. I said, cool, why? So I think God's called me to be an evangelist. And I want to get trained up so I can go be a traveling evangelist. I said, well, that's awesome. Out of curiosity, how many rack space people have you led to Christ? He said, well, well, none. I mean, it's, that's kind of, that'd be kind of weird. It's rack space. I said, well, there's 3,000 people there. I'm betting at least a few of them don't know Jesus. And you know the language and there's no culture issues. And God's got rack space paying your way. Why would you expect me to help pay your way to go tell Jesus to people you don't know the language, don't know the culture, if you're not using him at the place you're already at? Most of us are fully paid missionaries in USAA, Valero, rack space, Bartlett Construction Company, Chick-fil-A, Taco Bell, wherever we work. You're a fully paid missionary in a domestic mission field where you don't have a language issue, you don't have a culture issue. We're just waiting for God to say, you're called. I don't think God's any more interested in Colombia than he is in San Antonio. I think we need to realize he's with me and he cares. That means I, I begin to connect with God during the day and ask him, how do I deal with this project? How do I deal with this bad customer? How do I deal with that, that employee? The fourth thing is I see people the way Jesus sees them. And this is messy. If you want to honor God in your work, you've got to start looking at your work as people, not as issues. They're not coworkers. They're not them. They're why I am here. And how do I love them? Jesus in Matthew 9, 36 was retreating from a rough week and hordes of people followed him. And it says he turned, he saw them, he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd and he ministered to them. We need to see the people around us at work the way Jesus sees them. A great book on this is About My Father's Business by Reggie Campbell. If you go to YouTube, look up the video, The Bema Seat by Pete Briscoe. That'll rock your world. But I began just to simply look at the people who worked with me and go, where are they spiritually? And how am I ministering to them? How am I loving them? How am I connecting with them? And understanding that that angry, grumpy person may have a story that I can respond to. I'd say it's a dangerous thing. I was memorizing the, the famous passage, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Easy words. And I began to at my work ask God to show me how do I love you with my heart in this day? How do I love you with my mind? How do I love you with my strength? How do I love you with my soul? And then I got to the part where I said, okay, God, how today can I love my neighbor? Show me who my neighbor is. Careful asking God who your neighbor is at work because you don't get to pick. Walked into this big meeting 
in walked this grumpy lady who's like my nemesis. And I, she walked in. I was like, oh, she's here. And God went, she's your neighbor. And I was like, no, no, let's, let's, I'm going to work on loving this guy. She's like, he's like, no, I want you to love her. I'm like, don't really want to. And he said, I want to. I want to love her through you, Mike. That woman you can't stand, I love her passionately, and I want her to know that through you. And honestly, I'm going, she doesn't deserve it. <laughs> Which shows I'm not as Christian as I thought I was. I'll tell you, it's really easy to be a good Christian on Sunday morning. You are only as spiritual as you are Thursday afternoon in a bad meeting with people you don't like at work. That's your spiritual maturity right there. And when you begin to go, I'm going to ask Jesus to show me how to be him here with people I don't want, with a job I don't want, be prepared to be humbled and be prepared for an adventure. Because the other part is, I am part of a greater mission at work today. Again, your mission is not waiting for you in Columbia. Your mission is tomorrow morning at whatever workplace you're going to. It is your neighborhood. Do you know the average small business in America serves 5,000 people a year? Small businesses. Between customers, employees, their family, vendors, suppliers, industry peers you work with, 5,000 people a year. I just did a workshop on Friday with about 10 local business owners working through um, how to do ministry in our businesses. And these 10 business owners, we did an exercise where they counted up their employees, their families, their um, customers, their vendors, their suppliers, all these things. We called it the Marketplace Mission Field. And these 10 business owners served 122,000 people. Likely 89,000 of those are non-Christians. That'd be the largest megachurch in Texas. These local 10 small business owners. What's our responsibility to demonstrate the kingdom of God to them? I believe that Sunday morning we gather like this. It's awesome. We worship. We encourage each other. But this is the locker room of our faith. This is not the mission field. We come here to get encouraged, exhorted, remind each other who we are, to love each other, to get back on the field of Monday morning. And that's where we live out our faith. That's where this all gets real. And your workplace is the reason why Jesus used workplace parables. That's why he talked about farming and planting and banking. He used the things they did as workplace examples because that's where most things were gonna happen. In the book of Acts, most of the miracles and the healings and people coming to life was during the workplace, during the work day. So Jesus is not just an evening thing or a weekend thing. Some of you are waiting for God to give you a call. And if you've been waiting for God to give you a call, close your eyes for a second. Ring. You've been called. Okay, so let's just get past that. If you've accepted the life of Jesus, you are called and commissioned. And your job doesn't determine that. Whether you've got the degree you want or the job you want doesn't determine that. It's your identity changes that. Sometimes he's got you in a job because he wants to form us into his likeness. Sometimes he has us in a job because he wants us to show people who Jesus is. Sometimes it's to be a blessing to others, even when it's not a blessing to us. But if we're doing as unto Christ, shouldn't we be the best people in the workplace? I mean, if Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna come with you to work tomorrow, I'd probably show up to work on time. I'd probably have a smile on. I'd probably be super nice that day because I've got, got Jesus with me, right? I probably wouldn't be punching the clock in and just barely getting by. Jesus is with us, and that should change how we work. In the, when the local business journal in San Antonio highlights best places to work awards, usually about a third of those are C12 companies. These are companies where the owner is a believer who's doing his work as worship. And I'm proud of that because shouldn't it be true that if we're running businesses for the glory of God, that it'd be the best places to work? Shouldn't they be great cultures? But shouldn't Christians be the best employees? 
Shouldn't the person who doesn't like Jesus love having Christians work for him or her because of how we work? We don't work for them. We work for Jesus. And if you're working for Jesus, I'm hoping we'd work hard. I'm hoping we'd work with joy and gratitude. Your workplace neighborhood is incredible. Let's look at a couple diagrams here. You got this card and you came in that had this list of neighborhoods. I've oftentimes struggled to do neighborhood ministry because I've lived in apartments where I never saw my neighbors. I only heard them late at night and smelled them. I've, worked in, I've lived in neighborhoods where my neighbors had different shift schedules than me and we were never in the street at the same time. I've had neighbors where they are deployed half the time or on airplanes half the time. And so it's like, how do you connect with your neighbors sometimes? The one place your neighbors are bound to be is when they're paid to show up every day for the same time you are, and that's at work. And so our neighborhood at work is our, our bosses, it's our peers, the people who we manage, the people we serve as customers, our vendors, our suppliers. Uh, we just this past week took an hour off of work and we went to our local CPA shop who does our taxes and we prayed for them, brought them breakfast, and we thanked them for how their work supports our business. And we, and we go to various vendors. We actually go try to bless them as an active ministry as a business. We have massive neighborhoods in the workplace. And God's called us to be ambassadors for Christ in each of them. This other diagram, this is kind of a central thing we use in, in C12. If you're in management of a department or a division or you run your own small business, or if you're just working a company, think about this. This is not just evangelism. This is letting the Bible shape the way you do business. So how does the purpose, vision, and core values reflect the kingdom of God at work in that company? How does that then transform the way you make money and do sales? Do you sell in a way that's honoring to God? Do you market in a way that's honoring to God? Do you do financial management, the way you manage capital and debt and reporting and metrics? Are those things done in a God-honoring way? How about the way you hire and fire? Do you hire and fire and manage people in such a way that's consistent with biblical principles? Hiring is a wonderful chance to get to actually proclaim the gospel to people. When I'm interviewing a candidate, I'll go, hey, I don't know if you're a fit or if we're a fit for you, but I do know this. You're created with purpose, and your work should be part of that purpose. And part of this interview process is going to be us seeking and asking really from God's perspective, is this a place you're supposed to be right now? Because I don't want to get in the way of God's greatest work for you. Now, he or she may have no idea who Jesus is, but I get a chance to speak identity and destiny to that person and make hiring a ministry. How we manage the operations. And then how does ministry happen? If my business belongs to God, don't you think he would care about more than just the return on investment of cash, but the return on people? All these things become questions that make business not an obstacle, but actually an adventure of, God, how would you have my identity in you change the way I do work? And I believe if we were to actually live this out in our workplace tomorrow and the next day and the next day, San Antonio would begin to be transformed. It's a wildly unchurched city. Do you know 90 plus percent of San Antonio does not go to church? There's not seating capacity for 10% of San Antonio to go to church in all churches, but they go to work and you're going to work with them. And we get to transform these workplaces to be cultures where the kingdom of God is demonstrated. I'd like you to watch this video with me that think about the beauty and goodness of the invitation of the work God's allowed us to be part of.
maybe you're like me and you forget this stuff somewhere between tonight and Thursday, and you find yourself just kind of stuck in a rat race. I'm hoping you'll take this card and keep it with you at your desk and think about these truths. I signed up for something online. You can go to tradingup.org. There's this free site where I get actually scripture sent to me every day at at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. That's just reminding me who I am in Christ and how to live that at work. But regardless of whether or not you like your job or not, whether or not you have the dream career you want to be in or not, you and I in Christ all have the same boss. A boss who's perfect, who's present, and who cares. And the way we work tomorrow will actually reveal what, who you believe your boss is, where he is, how he is, and who you are. Our work will demonstrate what we actually believe. This prayer at the end of the card is what I'd like to pray over you right now, that Father, I pray that by your power in us, we would embrace this truth and that we would surrender to you the work we do. Jesus, our, your life in us makes this possible. Holy Spirit, would you please remind and counsel us in your truth throughout the day. May we love you, God, with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and strength in everything we do. And may we see people as our neighbor to love as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.